work laid within the within the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about Yeshua's divinity, and we need to understand what it is. Right? It is a reflection. Yeshua is a reflection of the Father, and that's kind of how we're going to approach this. But more importantly, I'm not going to use this as a theological as a time for a theological treatise, because I think that the problem is is often we're we're interested and curious about this from an intellectual perspective. What we really need to do is understand why it's important. What's the point? So Yeshua is God. What's the big deal? Well, there is a big deal. And that's what I want us to to focus on as we move through this passage. So turn with me, again, if you're not there, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, He is the visible image of the invisible God. So I'll stop there. Some of you are still turning. Page 1470. Page 1470. It says, He, Yeshua, is the visible image of the invisible God. God does not have a body. You know, in Zohar, it's interesting, I studied this a long time ago. But within the uh, mystical literature, within Zohar, it talks about the fact that God's, you know, it asks the question, how big is God's hand? And it uses this incredible number to talk about, like, a, a small part of his, of his, one of his fingers. And uh, there is this understanding within mystical Jewish literature that God is this massive physical being beyond our comprehension, that big as a physical being. Of course, even the Zohar isn't really trying to to present the fact that God is physical. I think what what the Zohar is trying to do is to say that God is unimaginable. His greatness, His majesty, who He really is, is unimaginable. Here we have, in the very first verse of this section, that He, Yeshua, is the visible image of the invisible God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's keep reading. He is supreme over all creation, because in connection with Him were created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities, they have all been created through Him and for Him. He existed before all things, and He holds everything all together. Also, He is head of the body, the messianic community. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might hold first place in everything. For it pleased God to have His full being live in His Son. Let's go back to that first verse again, verse 15. He, Yeshua, is the visible image of the invisible God. Yeshua is God's perfect manifestation on earth. Remember, God does not have a physical form. And yet, what does it say in the book of Genesis about man's creation? God created man in His image. What was that image? Intellect, emotion, will. We were created in the image of God not to be robots, thoughtless, willless robots. You know, they, you know when you buy a car today, that car is built mostly by robots. <laughs> And what does a robot do? It does what it's told. What do people do? They do what they want. (laughs) It's true. We have will. We can will to do or not to do. Some of you will to do and will not to do. It's true. It's human nature. It's who we are. It's okay. 
in a sense. You know? When Rachel was small, she's not here so I can use it. When Rachel was small, she was really good at saying no. As soon as she could learn to say no, she said no. Why? Because she's willful. Really good example of willful. God created us in His image. We have intellect, emotion, and will. Didn't create us in His image in terms of the physical because God is not physical. Who is Yeshua? He is the visible image of the invisible God. What we see in Yeshua in regards to His intellect, emotion, His will, this is a reflection of who God is because Yeshua is God within visible form. Yeshua is, and this is in your notes, is the exact representation or manifestation of God. Again, this must be understood in a spiritual sense. Every once in a while people get all caught up into, the, into this and try to, to think in terms of the fact that God must have some physical form. No, absolutely not. Scriptures are very clear. Yeshua himself states that, that God is spiritual. That God is spiritual. He's not physical. It is Yeshua's nature and being. It is Yeshua's nature and being that reflects who God is. When you think back, and in, in, uh, hopefully you, you read enough of the, 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 the uh, narratives about Yeshua's life, when you think about who Yeshua is, do you, do you recognize the amazing love of God in the way Yeshua interacts with people? Do, do you, can you see God's mercy coming through Yeshua? Can you also see His righteous anger <laughs> Coming through Yeshua. Yeshua manifests who God is. When we look at Yeshua, in essence, we are seeing a mirror image of who God is. But we're seeing it in a physical form. Yeshua is the exact representation or manifestation of God. The reason this is important is because uh, part of what the uh, theological issue is in the book of Colossians is that Yeshua is one of many manifestations. You know, in, uh, in Jewish thought, again going back to, to mystical Jewish thought, there are what you call the sephirot, the sephiras, how you pronounce it. But these are emanations of God. God is, you know, in sof, the great above and beyond. And so that, that great God can't have a connection with this earth because this earth is wicked. And so you have emanations coming down from God. All of them coming down from purity and less purity all the way down to kind of mingled with the world. But these emanations are from God and represent, in essence, spirits from God. Now, all of this is a little crazy. It's really wrapped up within Gnostic beliefs, comes out of Eastern thought, Gnosticism, which came onto the scene 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries A.D. or C.E. But it seems that these concepts were rattling around in Colossae. And so Shaul is writing this to make very clear that Yeshua is not an emanation. Yeshua is an exact representation of God. You know, when you go back into the Hebrew Scriptures, we see some interesting statements in regards to manifestation of God. 
I want to just uh, take a look at a couple here. I'm not going to make a... Uh, a big presentation on this, but when you go to, uh, we'll take one, Genesis 16, <clears throat> Genesis 16, verses 7 uh, through 13. Here we have uh, the the uh, situation where Hagar is thrown out. Hagar, of course, bears Ishmael, and from him all the trouble began. <laughs> no, but uh, but Hagar bears Ishmael, and uh, and there's a bit of a fight in the family, and Hagar has to go, and uh, she's basically lost. And here we see in in uh, chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 7, this amazing thing that occurs. It's the manifestation of God. It says the angel of Adonai found her, Hagar by a spring in the desert, the spring on the road to shore, and said, Hagar, Sarai's slave girl, where have you come from and where are you going? She answered, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of Adonai said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of Adonai said to her, I will greatly increase your descendants. There will be so many that it will be impossible to count. Again, the Arabs. <laughs> anyway. The angel of Adonai said to her, Look, you are pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You were to call him Ishmael. God pays attention. Because Adonai has paid attention to your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man with his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, living his life at odds with all his kinsmen. So she named Adonai, who had spoken with her, El Roi, God of seeing. Because she said, Have I really seen the one who sees me and stayed alive? This is why the well has been called Be'er Lechai Roi, well of the one who lives and sees the lies between Kadesh and Bered. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Hagar talks to the Lord. There is a manifestation of the Lord. And I'm using that word very carefully. That is the tetragrammaton. That is the Lord as He made Himself known in the burning bush. The name of God. So here we have this amazing manifestation. There is a physical manifestation that is going on here. Uh, within the Christian community, they would call this a theophany. You know, Yeshua popping up early. Okay, I don't know if I like that particular phrase or not, to be honest with you. All right. Instead, what I like to identify here is you've got God's ability to manifest Himself as the Lord to people when he wants to communicate something very particular to people. There's a couple of other examples. There's one other one uh, in the book of Zechariah. I'm not going to read it, although it's pretty dramatic. It's where Satan is accusing uh, Zerubbabel and, and the new high priest. This is post-exilic. People come back from the land, a lot of problems in the land. And in the book of Zechariah, uh, you have this amazing scene where Satan is accusing these two individuals. And the angel of the Lord, the Malach Adonai, shows up. And as the Lord vindicates them. And speaks about, in the same passage, the removal of the sin from the land in a single day. It's a great passage of text. Yeshua is God's perfect manifestation on earth. God manifested Himself Himself to our people and to other people, not just to the Jewish people, but to other people, when He chose to do so for specific reasons within the Hebrew Scriptures. But the time came where God Himself was willing to be born as a human 
specifically for a purpose, that purpose, to bring atonement for our sin. Yeshua was that unique individual, and He is that unique individual. And chapter 1, verse 15, is trying to make this very, very clear. But as part of this, it's very interesting, He ends that verse, He says, He is supreme over all creation. And then beginning from there, all the way now for a couple of verses, He speaks of the supremacy of our Messiah. Yeshua is God. He is supreme over all His creation. And He uses these interesting words. This portion of text, by the way, is really like a... People call it a hymn, you know, a poem. I mean, you know, people go back and forth on it. But I I think that uh, a hymn makes a lot of sense. Uh, Whether Paul wrote it, whether Shaul wrote it or not... uh, People, again, they, they discuss it. One of the things that, that happens within any movement, a religious movement, is music develops. Uh, you know, if, if you're old enough to remember the 60s. <laughs> all right? And you remember the, the new music that came out of all that. Right? A movements. Movements create the music. One of my frustrations with our modern Messianic Jewish movement today is there's not a lot of real move music coming out of our movement anymore. There isn't. You go back into the, the late 60s, early 70s, middle 70s, even early 80s. A lot of significant music came out. You know, we had Stuart Darman here. You know, Stuart along with uh, Joel uh, Chernoff. These guys produced significant amounts of music. They were in and of themselves probably uh, the the greatest uh, instigators and and uh, progenitors of all Messianic Jewish music. Tremendous work these two did. But it came out of that, that community. It came out of their passion. It came out of their interests. It was just life lived out in music. But, well, the early Messianic community, same thing. You have you have pieces of liturgy. You have uh, hymns. These are these are very common within uh, within Jewish thought, even in the first century. And so what we see here in this section, verses 15 through 19, is is what really seems to be a hymn, with a little bit of change maybe from from Shaul. Okay, but what's what's interesting is that the, the emphasis of the him is on this whole issue of Yeshua's divinity. I've got a couple of books in my library. One of them is really thick. <laughs> All right, it's by a guy named Hurtado. And Hurtado's been fascinated with the whole issue of the deity of Yeshua. A lot of people would say that the whole deity of Yeshua thing came about in the second, third, and fourth centuries, all due to pagan influence. And Hurtado has made it very clear that that's just absolutely false. That at the very beginning of Yeshua faith, at the very beginning of the movement, was an understanding that Yeshua wasn't just a man, but that in some mysterious way, he was Adonai himself. Now, people go back and forth. They use that phrase again. I've used it a couple times. Uh, you know, when we say Adonai as Jews, we're referring to God, the Lord, that name, that, that personal name of God. But it is indeed that name that seems to be the representation of who Yeshua is. The manifestation of God. As it says later on in the, in the New Testament text, what the, I believe them. Sometimes my mind doesn't work as well as it used to. I believe the book of Philippians where it says there's no other name higher than the name of Yeshua. How could you say that except for the fact that Yeshua is connected with who yod heh is? And Shaul, I think, makes that case. 
and Hartado in all of his studies certainly makes the case that it was the very, very, very early beginnings where the believers recognized this amazing mystery of who Yeshua was, that he was indeed the Lord. And what's critically important as part of this is the whole idea. If He is the Lord, then He is supreme. He is supreme, as it says in the text again, because He is supreme over all creation because in connection with Him were created all things. Everything. In heaven, on earth, that's what's visible and invisible were the thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities. They have all been created through Him and for Him. He existed before all things. And he holds everything together. What an amazing picture. Yeshua is the Mashiach who came to provide atonement for our sins. But in the essence, the true essence of who he is, as this physical manifestation of God, in him everything has come about. All creation. Which means that he has complete authority over everything. Yeshua is supreme. He has all authority. In fact, he says at the end of the book of Matthew, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Remember when Yeshua is, is tempted to bow down before Satan to be able to get everything? And Yeshua re- rebuffs him. Well, of course. Why wouldn't he? He already is over everything. Why does he need to bow to Satan for anything? Satan only has what he has because God gives him a little bit of space to operate in. Yeshua is the perfect manifestation, the perfect representation of God on earth, and he is supreme. He is supreme. One question I have for you, is he supreme in your life? Now intellectually, intellectually you may say, yeah, he's supreme, intellectually. But in practicality, do you truly understand who he is in the day-to-day realities of your life? Is he truly supreme? easy to, to, to consider him intellectually as supreme. But to really understand who he is in the day-to-day walk of life, when we have to make decisions, do we really bow before him when it comes to those things that, that, that come up? You know, I mean, I, I love that. So those of you coming on Wednesday nights, I make everybody fill out stuff. <laughs> Tests every single Wednesday night, okay? And it's great. I enjoy because I got to put it together, so I have to think about everything. But then I love reading what everybody writes because it's it's good. It helps me really understand. I read a book uh, which uh, I got somewhere for free. Willow Creek, which is this huge mega church, uh, uh, did a survey of all these other churches, and it was fascinating to read the results. Uh, people have an intellectual understanding, and they want to have they want to learn more. But everybody consistently falls down in application. It's just amazing across the board. People just don't do what they say they know. And even in our surveys, okay, we, I, I read these things. I mean, if you go back and you look at it, and you've taken the surveys, you go, yeah, I noticed that I have these high expectations, but I don't really live it out. Knowledge is power. 
Knowledge is power. Knowing what we know allows us, if we choose, to make change. The question is, are we willing to change? When we recognize that Yeshua is the perfect manifestation of God on earth, and we say that we are messianic, that we follow this Messiah, that we therefore acknowledge Him to be King Supreme, then we must choose to incorporate into our lives that which, that, that which we know. I was reading something else, because some of you think I went on vacation. Trust me, no vacation. I was working 50 hours, but it was all stuff I wanted to do for a change, for the most part. Reading, reading, reading. Another thing I was reading is that uh, one of the biggest needs people desired, one of the biggest things people want help with, I should say, is the application of the text, not just the accumulation of more knowledge. I sent this, I sent it to, uh, to my friend Boaz, this uh, Barna stuff. You guys should read Barna, all you guys. <laughs> but, but the biggest problem today is people don't really know how to incorporate what they know. So again, on Wednesday nights or even after this message, you know, I encourage you to think, well, just a second, everything that I've heard, all these different things that Glebe ranted about from the Bema, what does it mean on a Wednesday afternoon or a Thursday morning? How do I incorporate this knowledge into my life today? That's a perfect question. When you're on the job and you're having to deal with, with difficult co-workers, what does it mean to incorporate the biblical text about Yeshua's sovereignty in this world? Suppose something horrific occurs in your life, a major disappointment of some kind. What does the supremacy of Yeshua have to do in your life at that moment? What's the practical application? There's this little verse here in, in verse 17, this little statement. It says, again, He existed before all things. We talked about that. He is Adonai. He's the creator of everything. But then it says, and He holds everything together. Any of you have a week where it just felt like everything was flying apart? <laughs> what a horrible week. Nothing went the way I wanted it to. It was a disaster. You almost, you know, uh, what was it, a movie? I did not see the movie. But there was a movie where kind of like everything was coming apart. The earth was coming apart. Remember the Mayan, it was the Mayan calendar thing. Some of you people know all these movies. I don't know these movies. What? May 12th? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was a movie. And these people are driving. And I was surprised. Everything's falling apart around them. The earth is coming apart. And they're driving through. So I didn't see the movie. I'd like to see it. But some of us, that's our week, isn't it? Things are not holding together the way we would like them to hold together. You know, circumstances are not what we want them to be. That's life. You know, there's a little bit of encouragement though. Do you know because Yeshua is supreme, He holds everything together. You know, the sense there is, is, is the fact that the very atomic structure, the very basic elements of what make up this world are held together because of who Yeshua is. As creator, sustainer, as a supreme overall, He keeps it together. 
So you had a bad week. Things didn't go the way you wanted. But if you're living your life God's way, if you're living with the knowledge that Yeshua is supreme, you know what? Your week went exactly the way Yeshua wanted it to go because He holds it all together. That's a, that's a paradigm. That's, a, that's an approach to life. You know, if you were spending your week in drunken revelry and robbing banks and you end up in jail, that's on you. Don't blame Yeshua. But if you were going through your week and you were working hard and you were, you were uh, you know, really trying through your week to, to do the things that pleased God and life didn't go the way you wanted it to, rest assured it went the way Yeshua wanted it to because He is King Supreme. Now, what's, what's important to remember is that uh, I'm not saying here that all the, the, the sinful realities of living in a broken world, you know, the disease that occurs and all this stuff, I'm not saying that all of that is the will of God. That's just the reality of this broken world. And one day Yeshua will return and all of that will change. Okay? But it also doesn't mean that God... Because of His love and because of His knowledge doesn't allow those things to come into our lives to grant us understanding and to help us in some way we don't fully understand become more and more in the likeness of our Messiah. Sometimes we can't see things clearly. Sometimes in life we find ourselves in a funhouse with weird mirrors. And the only way we're going to get through is to remember that fundamentally Yeshua is supreme. That Yeshua is God and following Him allows us through the time and through the difficult to have the strength and the peace to be able to move forward just as Barry was talking about. Well, I'm going to wrap all this up. A lot more that can be said, but understanding Yeshua as God is a mystery and impossible to comprehend. If you can't figure it out, it's okay. I still haven't got it figured out. I was a brand new believer. I must have been 16, 16 and a half. And this friend, I was, I was an assistant manager at a restaurant at that point, and the guy who was over me, who was another kid, he was about 19, but grew up Catholic, he said to me, because we were talking about religion, <laughs> and he was, came to me and said, My priest proved the Trinity. And I wasn't quite sure if I even bought into that concept at this point. I just knew that Yeshua was the Messiah, and that God was God, and the Scriptures are true. And you're telling me that your priest has proved the Trinity. Yeah. It's a mystery. God is a mystery. Dr. Lewis Goldberg, of blessed memory, would always basically say the same thing. God is a mystery. But, He is King Supreme, and we need to follow Him every single day. The Tanakh helps us, gives us some insights. This whole Malach Adonai, it's a wonderful thing that one of these days I'll write a book on. But the truth of the matter is is that these vignettes of what God does in the Hebrew Scriptures helps us understand a little more about who Yeshua is. But fundamentally, there's something we need to be grateful for, and that is that God takes a personal interest in us. Remember Yeshua's words from the book of Matthew. 
Right? God cares about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of you, it's easier than others. But He cares for you. That's amazing. Right? There are what, six, seven billion people on the earth today? God cares for each one, even for those who are in rebellion against Him. You feel alone? You feel unloved? Stop feeling that way. God loves you. He does. He really, really does. He cares for you. He took a personal interest in you, and that's why He came down to bring atonement for our sins Himself. So take time today. Express your gratitude to God for that. Allow God to be God. Allow God to be God by faith, believing in what He says, even though you can't always understand it. I think that's extremely important in a passage like this. But finally, I encourage you to think about what it means to allow Yeshua to be supreme over your life each and every day. Remember, your actions are a reflection of who truly reigns over your life. Your actions are a reflection of who or what truly reigns over your life. Give that some some thought, chew on that. And uh, may God give you wisdom in thinking of how more and more each day you can let Yeshua reign supreme over your life. Let's close in a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. We thank you, God, for the fact that even this text, which is an amazing text, so deep and so, uh, so challenging, yet it provides tremendous encouragement for us, God, your love for us, your commitment to us, 